Well, um, I've either got two uh, shorter messages or one super long one, so I'm going to probably opt for the two shorter ones, just so I don't wear you out. Um, last week, I, um, I started kind of getting into this, the, the whole issue of um, being in alignment with God's flow, talking about how uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 and 28, it talk, uh, Paul lays out an order for us, he says, and the church first is apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, and then he goes on and he kind of lists some other important ministries. Um, and so last week I just kind of started to go there a little bit and, and talk about um, what that looks like and um, today, really, what I want to do is I just kind of want to go uh, a little deeper and just start to talk about the different offices of the fivefold and just kind of give uh, one aspect of understanding of each of these gifts to the church so that we can begin to, um, in a healthy way, identify them, uh, cooperate with them, most importantly, because we, we need to cooperate with different things. And last week I, I shared about school and how the fivefold was like school. Anybody remember that? You know, and, and when we were in school, we all probably had a favorite subject and we wished we could just take that subject all day long. I wish I could have been in band instead of having to go to English. I hated English class. I hated math class. I think I hated history too. <laughs> Social studies was all right, but I think I hated everything else. And, you know, thank goodness. But I still had to go to class. I still had to pass those classes to graduate. I didn't like them so much. They didn't, you know, make me feel great. They didn't, you know, they weren't my thing. I wasn't going to be a math teacher. But for some reason, we need math. <laughs> for some reason, we need English, Right? I mean, we just, someone somewhere, probably thousands of years ago, decided, hey, it's important. These things are important to our growth. And so in the church, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You cannot grow up on one diet of one person. You cannot grow up on your favorite speaker on TV. It's not possible. If you are listening to one person's message or just two people's messages, and that's all you eat all day, every day, you're watching them faithfully on TV, you're buying all their tapes, or you're whatever you're doing, you can't grow up just on one person's revelation. And so, just like we need math, English, science, history, social studies, we need prophets and apostles and pastors and evangelists and teachers influencing our lives. And when I say influencing, I don't mean you hear a message and you go, that was neat. And then you go back to your life. When I say influence, I mean you change something about how you live based on what you heard. That you go out and you evangelize even though it's uncomfortable for you. Now, there's a whole bunch of ways to evangelize. There's a whole bunch of ways to outreach. And you don't have to do it like Mike Brown. You don't have to do it like Craig. You don't have to do it like Chris Hansen. But you do have to do it. And so uh, we're going to hopefully, through the life of you and me, expose us to enough different ways and all of these aspects that you can grab a hold of something and say, I, I need to do that. I do need to tell people about Jesus. Somehow, whether it's baking a cake and taking it to your neighbor and pasting on it, Jesus loves you. Right? You don't have to, you know, tell them about their mom who lives in Oklahoma and she's got cancer and God's going to heal her. I mean, that would be great. <laughs> but sometimes we're not comfortable there. Sometimes it's just going and saying, hey, you look stressed out. Can I help? I was praying about you the other day. And first, you have to pray about that person <laughs> before this strategy works. But I was praying for you. Man, can, what can I do to help you? Spring's coming up. You need me to help you clean your kitchen? 
Here's your outreach right here. No, she doesn't count because she's in. You have to go out. Sorry. You'll have to get your kids involved. But you get what I'm saying? There's a hundred ways to outreach. And if you're not even doing one, you're a baby. You're a baby. If you're caring about no one else besides yourself, you're a baby. If every day and every hour of every minute is consumed with thoughts about you, you're a baby. Babies are the center of the universe. That's who they are. That's who they're supposed to be. They're the center of attention, aren't they? Oh, someone walks in with their baby. We all turn and go, oh, there's the baby. We love the baby. Come here, baby. Hugs and kisses. But at some point, you stop being a baby. Now, they may live the rest of their life like they're a baby. But chronologically speaking, they've grown up. And there's an expectation we should have of these people. And there's an expectation that Jesus has of you. He didn't die just so you can be selfish. He didn't die just so your life can be easy. And these five gifts are five pieces of Jesus. It's what Ephesians 4 tells us. He gave us these gifts. He took who he was and he went. He he split himself up into five different gifts. Because there's only one Jesus. That's all we need. We only need one Messiah. And so I'm not him. And neither are you. None of us will be all that Jesus was. Okay? Now don't get, you know. What? We're supposed to be just like Jesus. You are. But you'll never be all. He's the only one. But we will be transformed like him. And so he took who he was and he said, okay, this this person will represent me as an apostle. And this one will represent me as a prophet. And this one will represent my heart as a shepherd. And this one will represent my ability to teach and to bring the power of God. And this one will seek and save the lost. And I will show these special people, and they are special. They are a gift from God. And I will show these special people how to show you how to do it all. And that's where we're at. And if you do not cooperate, if you do not allow those gifts to influence your life, if you live on your one trick pony diet of whatever gospel you like the most, you will be a baby. God had to say prophetically to us, stop being a baby. And we were all here and we all heard it. And I've played it lots and lots over and over. I will probably continue to play it because there is still some revelation in there that we got to get to. So today I want to I start by just giving um, Danny Silk in his book, um, he gives seven characteristics of an apostolic culture and environment. And I just I want to repeat those to us. I was going to make a PowerPoint slide, and I did not get around to it, so I'm sorry. But um, here are some characteristics of an apostolic environment or culture. This is where we're heading. Some of this, you know what? It's already here. There's a few things we've got to work on. First of all, an apostolic culture and environment is heavenly rather than earthly. 
So things like worship and supernatural activity are the priorities in that environment. And not just here in the environment, but in the lifestyles of all of you. This culture is purely a reflection of who you are and what you bring. Yes, we have a heavy influence of what this worship team brings. And there's a heavy influence of what the leadership brings. But the culture and the environment is going to reflect the sum total of what we bring. And an apostolic culture, if it's really affecting us, it is not going to be just that we worship well here, but that you have a lifestyle of it. That heaven is more important to you than earth. Second sign of an apostolic environment and culture is it's effective. You see, we the saints are sent just like Jesus was. And we were sent to destroy the works of the devil. You know, stuff like disease and and sickness Affliction. See, the sign of an apostolic culture is that we live to demonstrate to the people on the earth that God is always the good guy and the devil is always the bad guy. Number three. Number three sign that we're living in an apostolic culture is It's joyful. It's joyful. So some of you tell your face. It's joyful. Everybody say it with me. It's joyful. Ha, 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 it's joyful. Ha, 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 it's joyful. The kingdom of God is what? Joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the sign of an apostolic environment. Not your depression. Not my depression. It is not a sign of the apostolic culture we live in. It is joy in the Holy Spirit. Number four sign of an apostolic environment, an apostolic culture is, it is love-centered. See, the, the primary emphasis of relation with God, relationship with God is not service, but love. See, lovers make better workers anyway. Doesn't work the other way around. Lovers work the hardest for Jesus. Those who've had their hearts captured by God in such a powerful way that they can't say no to him. Remember when you were dating? You couldn't say no. Hey, it's midnight. Let's go eat. I was asleep, but yes, okay. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Are you going to be there? Of course, I will be there. See, when we're overwhelmed with love, it's no problem to lay our life down in service. But if you're going to work hard to feel love, it's not going to work. Number five, sign of an apostolic environment and culture is it's empowering And it seeks to build up and equip the body of Christ. It is empowering and it seeks to build up and equip the body of Christ. To become a glorious and victorious bride. Regardless of what it looks like on the earth. See, this is what we've been saying for now years. There's a recession. 
And it's, the signs are everywhere. But if we will take how we've been empowered and how we've been built up, we don't have to participate. I chose not to. I decided I'm not going to be a part of this recession. <laughs> I don't belong to this economy. My tithe says I belong to a different one. My offerings, my generous offerings, prove that I am a part of a different economic system. It's not based on the stock market or the housing bubble or global marketization of somethingization. I have an economic system I've been a part of for a long, long time. And I'm out of debt, except for my mortgage. I don't know anybody nothing except a Mariana Bank. I don't know them very much. Amen. But it's empowering. It seeks to build us up. Number six, an apostolic environment and culture is influential. The church, our, our job in this community is to be an influence. Amen. And not just here. Actually, the church of, as a whole is supposed to be a global catalyst for awakening. Yes. Global impact. But the first step for us is Newcastle. Yep. Is our city any better because we've got 100 plus churches? Doesn't seem to be. To me, that's a sign that we're clearly the church of Newcastle isn't an apostolic one. But I'm here and so are you, so I'm asking this group are we going to have an impact? Are we going to change the culture of this city, this county, this East Central Indiana region? Are we going to affect it, or are we just going to follow step and suit with it? An apostolic church is the shaker and the movers. They wag the tail. The tail doesn't wag them. And then number seven, an apostolic church environment is legacy-minded. In other words, descending generations. We have to have this mindset that descending generations have to be equipped to carry the kingdom. It's a sad thing that so many Christians die and they leave nothing in the way of a heritage or a legacy for children. And where we're at now as a nation because of the postmodernism and post-church blah, 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 we have entire generation now that's almost completely unaware of God. And if they are aware, they hate Him. And so the first thing that God's called you to be responsible for are your own children. See, what we do in your children's ministry, it's just an aid to what you're supposed to already be doing. We're just a little supplement, shot in the arm, kind of, hey, you're not alone moment. Training happens at home. And you have to think beyond your kids. You have to think, am I equipping my child to be able to raise their children with less heartache and pain and suffering then I have to. And I know there are a lot of people in here, you're the first. You're the beginning of a new tree. But don't let it be broken. Don't think that, hey, New Covenant will do it for me. We're not. We've offered more parenting classes than any church in this city. 
And I watch your children. And I can tell that some of you aren't doing any of it. So is it just me putting on videos and, and making space for it to happen and talking about it is not enough. Amen. You actually have to do it. You have to have a legacy mindset that says, I intend for generations what I believe to go for generations and to go beyond what I've done and said. That's an apostolic culture. And that's what we're, we're fighting for. Now, I know Bill kind of said this, and I'm going to say it, that when we use that term apostolic ministry, we're, you know, we realize there are churches who are apostolic churches. <laughs> we're not talking about that. We're not talking about oneness. We're not talking about you have to be baptizing the Holy Spirit and speaking tongues to go to heaven or you're going to hell. We're not talking about that. We are talking about the primary goals and objectives of the apostles' leadership in our lives. And therefore, the goals that we, um, the people under those apostolic influences, align ourselves. Now, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray um, in Matthew 6.10, he he has this phrase, and this is what we've, we've titled this year to be about. He's, when he told him to pray, he said, Pray that your kingdom come, and that your will, Father, would be done on the earth like it is in heaven. Like in heaven. See, and in this teaching that Jesus shared, he said, you know, as he's equipping them to pray, he's, he's also he's trying to help them with something. He's trying to, to help them and, and instruct them, teach them that, that your desire in this life should be for heaven. You should be longing for heaven to show up in the earth. That that should be a, a, a foundation of your life as a human being in the earth. That wherever I go, that wherever I'm at, my desire should be heaven should show up right here. When I go to work, I need the environment of heaven right here in my cubicle. I need it at every table that I wait on. I need it in my classroom. Everywhere I go, I should be longing for the power and presence and and purpose of heaven to be right here. And I realize life's hard. And we get in the routines and we forget. But we can't forget anymore. Jesus taught us like he taught the disciples And this is a a core value. It's the primary objective of apostolic ministry. Apostolic leaders are focused on heaven. And their mission is to see heaven's supernatural reality established on the earth. They take that job very seriously. And having this motivation at the foundation of a church leads um, to an entirely different emphasis in the church's governing priorities. See, the influence of apostolic ministry, it, it makes the presence of God. It makes the worship of God. It makes the agenda of heaven the top priority in the environment. And... An apostolic environment or government is designed to protect those priorities. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10, he he refers to himself as a master builder. And the word used in the Greek is the word architecton, which is 
where we derive our English word architect, right? And so it's, it's as though God himself has given th- these blueprints to certain individuals to be able to reproduce heaven on earth. You ever watch a show, HG Channel, and you go, love that house. I wish I would love to build that house. Well, what do you got to do to build that beautiful, gorgeous, expansive house? You got to have some plans, don't you? You can't go, well, I think the room was this big, and I think there was a wall here, and, oh, this room was big, and it was, like, really big. You're not going to be able to reproduce that house without those plans, without those blueprints. And that's what the apostle carries. They have those, those blueprints to reproduce heaven on the earth. And along with the blueprints, um, the anointing that uh, is carried by the apostles, it contains a quality that stimulates and draws to the surface the different anointings of the people that are around. It's like everybody kind of comes up. Like who they are and their anointing comes up. It's like their very best starts to shine as they get in that environment. And as those around that particular apostle begin to manifest their own unique anointings, it creates an environment of like, kind of like subcontractors who, who help the master builder to begin to realize these blueprints that heaven has. So an apostolic environment is a really exciting place to be in. Someone else say amen. Amen. It's an exciting place to be. Because the focus on heaven allows things like prayer and worship and miracles, signs and wonders to become a part of our everyday life life. It becomes the new normal. I'm tired of the old normal. (laughs) There's a new normal that God needs to release. Now, there is one particular area, though, that the role of the apostle is not designed to address directly. And that is the needs of the people. Let's go to Acts chapter 6. And I want to read there and see how the apostles responded when they were confronted with some of the needs of the people. Starting in verse 1. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve all gathered Um, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and, and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, The Bible is perfect, so it's describing for us that the apostles were acting like apostles. The apostles were acting like apostles. Now, there was this increasing needs that the people had. You know, the gospel was going good. And when the gospel goes good and things start happening, needs show up big time. And they didn't have social security and welfare. It was the church's job. But see, what we can can see from this is that the increasing needs of the people were an actual distraction to their role and their anointing as apostles. So it's not that they didn't care, right? Right? 
I mean, they did something to make sure that the, the quality people in their community was going to, they were going to be able to meet those needs. They, were like, they didn't say, well, just send Bob. He's not doing anything. No, they said, uh, yeah, this is important. And we're going to find seven powerful people to go address this issue. But you see, apostles have to have the freedom to pursue heaven. If they are to effectively fulfill the apostolic call in their lives, they have to be free to do that. Now, there are some pitfalls in apostolic ministry. See, when an apostle begins to pursue his or her calling without the other ministry graces in place, several uh, real issues begin to creep into the environment that will threaten uh, the leader's success. You know, and, and it's things like, like unusual manifestations that are not found in the Bible. You know, things like unprecedented scenarios or styles that people have. Uh, sometimes it can even result in an uncomfortable focus on the supernatural. And probably one of the big ones is a noticeable inattention to the needs of the people. It begins to create friction when the other graces are not present. And what ends up happening is the people begin to see kind of a, a distance between them and that apostle. You know, it's one of those, we, we start to hear things like, oh, he or she's so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. If we don't have the other parts in place, that's how we start to go. Well, their head's in the clouds. You're right. It should be. The problem is there are no shepherds. But we'll get into that. And so as the people's needs go unmet, they begin to resent the way the apostle chooses to use his or her time. What are you doing all day? And, you know, this seems, you know, it could seem petty, but it, it is a real complaint that moves people away from apostolic leaders and a revival culture. A lot of churches who are going after God hard and, and they're, they're almost solely focused on the, the heaven and supernatural realm, they, the people start to, start to leave out the back door. Open heavens and open back doors are the sweet and sour of the apostles' leadership. And that's why apostles need the rest of the fivefold ministry. They need it. Just because they're first doesn't mean they can do it all. Quite the contrary. They're only 20%. So in Corinthians 12, where 27, it said that the next in line, first apostles, and then second was what? Prophets. So next in line is the prophet. And the prophet is the next vital piece in the government of a revival culture. See, the, the foundation uh, is incomplete without the presence of the prophetic anointing. And, and the, the, the presence of the prophetic anointing is uh, something that God has emphasized throughout all of Scripture. In fact, let's look at 2 Chronicles. Chapter 20, verse 20. <clears throat> it says, Early in the morning they left the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and all people of Jerusalem. 
Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. Everybody say successful. Successful. You see, our prosperity actually comes through our agreements with the culture of heaven. Our agreement with heaven is the thing that brings favor in the workplace. See, when you agree with how heaven tells you to raise your children, guess what you have? You have success. When we agree with what heaven says about your marriage, husbands unconditionally love your wives, wives unconditionally respect your husband. When we come into agreement with that, guess what we have in marriage? We have success. When we go to work and we have a boss who's a jerk and he's stealing and he's doing things wrong, but we still work really hard and we keep in our integrity, guess what happens to you when you're in agreement with that culture from heaven? You get blessed. When someone's talking about you at church and you don't complain to other people, And you go look in your own heart. Or you do what the Bible says and you go to that person. And you come into agreement with the culture of heaven. Guess what happens? You get blessed. And you have success. You become a prosperous person. See, any any other system. This isn't like just, you know, there's heaven system and then there's an okay system. And then there's an all right system. And then there's a... Uh, system and then there's the bad system it's it's God's system and then everything else anything else you try to incorporate that isn't the heaven uh, model or culture is the wrong system it may seem for a while to produce for you but in the long run you have your taste of poverty and it's not just financial poverty. It's, it's, it's your relationship poverties. You have poverty with your kids. Your spouse. Relationships in this room. The prophet's role is to clarify the reality of heaven's culture and to invite us into it. Therefore, success is built when we value a prophetic voice in our environment. Have we had any prophetic voices in this environment? Oh my, have we. I remember when we first moved into the building, and we had people here who aren't here now. Um, But... One comment I remember real distinctly hearing from one person. They said, wow, this church has, does so much prophetic ministry. I've never been anywhere where God speaks so much. And it's so valued. And it was, I think, meant to be a little bit of a jab. But I took it as praise the Lord. You're right. We're bringing in another one next month. So make sure you come. Now that was in 2001, not. But when we value those voices, and we have, I have, what happens when we value that voice who comes and they speak? What happens? Success. When we, when we come into agreement and the prophet says, hey, yeah, this and I see that and the other thing, and we go, yeah, and we get busy, we start to engage in God's will for our lives. Right. Nobody who sits in their pew and does nothing with the word of the Lord experienced that success. Right. You're just waiting for something to happen. It's coming into agreement. By acting, that brings that success. 
And our experience of prophetic leadership at New Covenant has come through a lot of different voices. You know, I mean, of course, we've got people like Dennis Kramer. We've got people like Kirk Bennett, Sean Bowles, Mahesh Shavda, Bill Dickerson, Jeremy Karras. I mean, Todd Fiedler, Barry Thompson. And, and I mean, we've had local, local and regional voices here. At the very start of this church, the very start of this church, Lynn brought a team of men and over the course of a weekend, they spoke on behalf of God concerning our DNA as a church. Who we were to be, what we were to do, and who we were to focus on. And almost everything we're doing today is a reflection of what those men prophesied. The things that we're contending for. We're contending because of what God has said to us. We fight for that which the Lord says fight for. And he told us, a young generation... Fight for them. Change the landscape of this region. Fight for that. Contend for it. Be an influence in this region, the Lord says. So we have to fight for it. By coming into agreement. Saying, yes, Lord. Now, the role of the prophet is, is to cultivate our expectation of discovering the, the heights and the depths of the good news. See, the gospel is more than just like words on a page. It's, it's a reality that has to unfold in our life. Every one of us. And one of the primary ways... It does so is through prophetic ministry. Because prophetic ministry, it apprehends the promises of the kingdom. And, and it grabs a hold of even individual destinies. And it calls, they call them into reality. I heard the Lord say this about you. That's what the prophet does. They apprehend, they take that word of the Lord and they grab it and they go, here. This is the good news. This is God's good news to you. And they declare that, and they call them into reality through declaration. And another aspect of the leadership and influence of prophets is to Cultivate our expectation for God to come. Now, we already have God in us. There's no more, no less. It's God in me. If you're born again, he's there. So, so as we seek and we say, Lord, come, what we're saying is, Lord, manifest. God, you're in me, but, but show yourself in a more tangible way. And the role of the prophetic, it pulls that in. It pulls us in, and it, and it creates a hunger in us to say, God, more. I need more, God. See, apostles, they keep us believing. They stir our faith. But prophets keep us expecting that God is coming to do something awesome. And he is coming to do something awesome awesome he's coming to do something awesome for you and he's coming to do something awesome for the city and he's coming to do something awesome in our state and he's coming to do something awesome in America and that's what the prophetic does keeps us expecting you know the dynamic way in which God speaks 
to the prophet, like things like dreams or visions or even trances. They, they create an awareness of God's involvement with us. I think of all the ways God speaks to me through dreams. And a lot lately. And I know he speaks to a lot of you that way. That's because there's a prophetic culture here. Because we're influenced by the prophets that God sends us. And because we come into agreement with that, it influences us. You don't dream in God? Find someone who's prophetic and say, lay it on me. Or deal with the offense that you have about the prophetic. But prophets create awareness of God's involvement. And some of the the supernatural tools, um, like visions and dreams and whatever, uh, they introduce an infusion of sensitivity. It makes us more sensitive to heaven's, heaven's activity and heaven's plans. But, but more than just making us aware through even their experiences is that anointing on the prophet actually equips us to have our own. See, that's the real fruit of our prophetic ministry. It's not just thus saith the Lord. And the Bible says that we could all prophesy And I'm going to talk about the difference between people who prophesy and who are prophets. They're not the same person. All of us can prophesy. See, when we we come together as a worship team and we pray, we pray every morning that we come together, God, release a prophetic spirit on us. Because worship ministry, at the very heart of who it is, is prophetic in nature. So we ask God, release prophetic spirit on us. Give it to us. Give us songs to sing. Give us rhythms to play. Give us beats and notes and all kinds of stuff. Show us and give us an ear to hear what's in heaven. Give us eyes to see what's going on in heaven so we can. And the result of that is lots of you get words from the Lord. Because it's like a blanket that comes down. And people get things and they go, oh my gosh, this has never happened to me before. Well, I can tell you why. It's because you're in a prophetic environment. And when you're in a prophetic environment, all may prophesy. That's the influence of the prophet. That's the influence of, of, of the prophetic ministry. Is they, they actually equip us to have our own heavenly experience. Let's look at Matthew 10. Verse 41, it says, Anyone who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man, because he is a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. And the reward is to see and hear what the Spirit is doing and saying. Does anybody want to hear and see what the Spirit is saying and doing? A couple of you do. That's the reward of the prophet. It's like you got a lottery ticket, but you just ain't cashed it in yet. That's the reward of when our hearts... Say yes, amen, Lord, to the prophet, to the prophetic ministry, to the prophetic anointing of lives. We start to see, we start to hear. We get the reward of seeing what the Holy Spirit's doing. And the prophetic anointing, it carries a, a seer di- dimension, you know. And, and a seer is a type of prophetic uh, expression where people, you know, when, when God moves with me in the prophetic, I am visual. And so I see everything. And even when I get a word, I actually see words. I don't hear words. I don't hear God say something to me. I, it's all on my screen. 
And that's called seer ministry or seer anointing or seer prophetic ministry. I see things and I just describe them. And so, so that, that's the influence that the anointing of the, the prophet has is it gives us the eyes to see. It gives us the ability to see. And it gives us, and, and then, and then the, the prophet is able to impart that sight. Prior to the prophetic anointing in our lives being introduced to us, we struggle. I mean, Jesus, he modeled the office of the prophet all day long because he was out doing what? He was giving people supernatural sight all day long, right? I mean, Mark 8, 17 was a very common question. He asked uh, his disciples and those around him, right? Mark 8, 17, it says, aware of their discussions, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no breath? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Now, the disciples' answer was always, no, no. Why? Because he was introducing an entirely different view. An entirely different view of life. But see, that that question led those same people to begin looking for something they had never considered seeing before. When Jesus says, do you not see? Oh my gosh, no, I don't. It caused them to think different. Caused them to start to pull on those supernatural eyes to be open. And as a result, they did receive eyes to see. So when it comes to the apostle and the prophet, they really, they really get along famously. I mean, because both of them are focused on looking into heaven. They're both got their hearts turned towards heaven. They're both looking towards heaven. They're looking in what, God? What, Lord? Show me heaven. So they get along great. And they're and they're in their focus of heaven is 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 to desire it on the earth. Not just to go, ooh, that's cool. No. It's like, oh, that's cool. We need that. That's gotta be here. I saw something. It's gotta show up here. They work together like a bow and arrow aimed at the same goal, the same target. I mean, and this is, this is I'm sure, why Paul in his brilliant revelation said that the foundation of the church is built on these two gifts. Can anyone say Amen. Do you want to agree with that? Well, then stand up. So I'm going to just pray for us. Um, after I'm done praying, if you have some more needs... Um, we'll have the altar team up here and they can help you. If you feel led to have someone specific pray for you, maybe not even on the altar team, just uh, bring them up here with you and we'll utilize that as well. But Father, um, I just pray for us. In many ways, God, we are an apostolic environment. In some ways, God, we really lack. So I pray now for our hearts. I pray right now for our hearts to resonate. To resonate, God, with this word. That, Father, we would begin to make changes. 
that we would begin to, God, seek heaven. Oh, God, help us to seek heaven. Father, help us to, to long for heaven on the earth. I'm so, I'm so tired of sickness and disease and failed marriages and failed children and failed careers, God. I look and long for heaven to be here, God. And I pray, God, that you would stir something in our hearts today. That, God, either we repent or we become more militant, that we get angry, God, with a holy, righteous anger that the heaven isn't here yet. And that we take responsibility for that. It's not my job or Eric's job alone, God. It is the job of your people to pull heaven to this earth. And I pray today, God, that we would start to get it. Our hearts are hard, God. My heart is hard. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, God, that I haven't seen, that I haven't perceived, that I haven't heard. I'm sorry that I didn't even care some days. God, forgive me. Forgive us, God. Forgive me for my hard heart, Jesus. Oh, God, we need you so badly. Lord, our city needs you so badly. The children of our community need you so badly, God. The teens of our community need you so bad, God. The visionless, going nowhere 20-somethings, God, need you so bad. Oh, God. Help us, God. Show us, God. Please. How are we going to get these people into your kingdom? Open us to heaven's realities, God. Father, we repent. We repent, God. We ask for an outpouring, Lord. Pour out your spirit on us on your sons and daughters. Have mercy on us, God. Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy, God. Heaven, 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 we need heaven, God. I pray you would release it to us, Lord. I ask for more signs and more wonders. I ask for more healings and more deliverances, God. I ask for more love. I ask for more, more connection, God. I ask for more care. I ask, God, for eyes to see. I ask for ears to hear, God. I ask for hearts to go out and save the lost, Father. I ask, God, that the word of God would have priority in our lives. Help us, Father. We're desperate, desperate, desperate. We are so ineffective without heaven here, God. Pour it out. Pour it out in Jesus' name. Pour it out in Jesus' name, God. 
And I just encourage you as we close and as the prayer team comes forward to pray, there may be some of you who just, um, maybe you've never even been filled with the Holy Spirit. I think today is going to be a perfect day for you. I just feel that there are some here you're just you feel like you're struggling in your Christianity. You feel like you're such a you're doing it bad. You're just not good at it. You're just struggling, struggling, struggling. And I want you to know, God offers the baptism of the Holy Spirit to give you power. To give you power. And you know what? It's not just once that we get filled because it leaks. It's over and over. And so if you got filled and you're just dry, come get filled up. Come up front, have a drink with us and be filled with the new wine and the new oil of the Holy Spirit. So Father, I pray that those who need to come forward for a fresh filling would come forth. Maybe you're here and you need to just come to Jesus. You're not saved. You're not born again. But today's that day. So if you're here today and you're ready to receive Christ as the ultimate lover of your soul, then you come down to this prayer team as well. And you ask them to pray with you to receive Jesus. For the rest of us, God, I bless send them forth, God, to take heaven wherever they go. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Have a blessed day. Come to the service tonight at Christ Fellowship if you can. Come to CR if you can. God bless you.